Hello, friends. Welcome back to an episode of Be Here for a While. Today's episode of Be Here for a While is brought to you by Best Fiends and a few new friends I've made. You'll hear about them. Great products. Dare to be yourself? That's one of them. A new podcast? Well, it's not a product. A new podcast you should listen to called Cats and Dogs? You'll hear about it. I'm not I'm not going to not tell you. Ah, uh, how are you guys doing? Are you okay? I hope you are. I, uh, I, 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 yeah, there's, I don't even know what to say other than I, there's so much pain and, and horrible things that we're seeing, um, but also a lot of good. I wish that the people experiencing this incredible pain, this shouldn't stop until these beautiful people don't have to be afraid anymore. And I am so behind it. I, I am open as well to, I don't know the right things to say. I really don't, but I want, I want to learn everything I can to make sure I'm part of the change. And I, my, my instinct is, is incredible care and anger and sadness and disappointment for what the, People that, that built our country, basically, that uh, America's built on the backs of, of black people. And, and the fact that it, it's shocking that they're still treated this way. So I, we have to see this through to the end until, until, let me give you an example. I finally got to get, and I'm not being like, oh, I'm so struggling, but I finally got to get my hair dyed today so I didn't look like Dog the Bounty Hunter anymore. My roots were terrible. That is not anyone's issue other than mine. But I was talking to my um, hairstylist today and we were just talking about like how incredible, how incredibly unreal, unfair and unacceptable this is. And we were just sharing various stories that we've seen in the news or on social media. And she she said I could say this uh, on the podcast. She um, she showed me a Facebook post that a um, person of color who works at her salon posted. I'm going to read it, but I think, and I guess, well, like many other things, but this is a really good example of what white privilege is because I said to her, I said, did you ever have to take your kids to go? You'll hear the story. My parents never had to take me around to do this. It is... First of all, well, this this is an amazing mother, but she shouldn't have to do this. So, um, so a per, I don't know if this person wants to be named, so I'm not going to say their name. Um, her post on Facebook said, not all cops are bad, but they do all work for a broken system. As a mother to a black son, I've been thinking about what I can do to keep him safe. Starting now, I will introduce him to every police officer we see starting at age 10 and every year after that. I will personally bring him to every police station in all surrounding areas of my community, and I will show them his face. I will make them see him. I will make sure they know his name. I will make sure they know... This Sorry. His mama... I'm his mama and how much she loves him. I will make sure he has friends on the force. I will make sure that he can name drop a good cop when a cop we don't know pulls him over. I will make sure that he knows his rights and that he is prepared for the worst. 
She said, I realize that I have the privilege to do this as many other black mothers simply don't. It's not okay that I will most likely feel safe doing this and some mothers won't. But I will use my privilege, my light skin, my pretty face, my education, my address, my wonderful white family, whatever I have to do to make sure these cops see Blake, know Blake, and protect Blake. Uh, I, do, I don't know the, the, their full backstory. I guess from reading that, I imagine that um, her son is mixed race and uh, she's white and, her, and the son's father, um, I assume, is black. Uh, and regardless though, I mean, none of that matters. It just, the fact that that is a thing that she has to, on top of just, you think about, you just want to raise your kid. Okay. You want them to have a good time at school. You want them to make good friends. You want, you want, no, my, my parents certainly never had to think that I was a target at any time, at any time, just because of the color of my skin. And to me, I, that is white privilege. That is, it does not mean that, God, I don't even want to, I, I guess I just want to leave that there. Because I don't, I don't want to say the wrong thing, but I just want, I think we all get it. And if you don't, honestly... It is up to you to educate yourself. And I wanted to, I want to throw this out there and uh, feel free, please, actually, please give me the feedback. Please don't do it on the um, reviews and comments on my podcast because I am, I am doing the best I can. And I, I know sometimes that's not enough, but I, I truly am trying. So please don't leave them there. Um, and I, and I don't think this is overly controversial, but I did make sure before I decided to do this to ask a few friends. I said, I, I want to do a podcast segment um, that, it, that is just me listening and a person of color telling me their story, telling me what, what, I, what I would never instinctually know, what I've never had to go through, and how that makes them feel. Because I think hearing those stories, and not even learning just like the you know verbiage of what to use and whatever, but... If, if you're a good human and you hear someone else's story, what they have to go through on a day-to-day basis that you could never even imagine, um, I think that could help all of us. So I want to do those segments. I don't, but when I asked a few people, they were like, well, don't, don't ask them to educate you. It's up to you to educate yourself, which I was like, you know what? You're right. I'm glad I asked you first because I'm not going to be like, hey, come on my podcast and tell me what I need to do. It is up to me to educate myself. T- tell me your story. I'm here to listen and I want my listeners to be educated too. I don't know. It's an idea. Um, yeah, let me know what you think. Uh, please uh, DM me on Instagram at Rachel, R-A-C-H-A-E-L-N-O-B-R-I-E-N. Uh, I look forward to your input. I look forward to any ad- advice you have or story you even want to tell me there that maybe you don't want public on a podcast. I just think anytime we listen really listen to the pain um people of color have to go through we you can only take another step forward in that so yeah thank you so much thank you thank you thank you thank you please support all black owned businesses okay now on to the podcast all right we have another epstein podcast 
And I brought in my resident British correspondent, Deanna Spear. And uh, I... We, I feel like we, we, we've elevated our knowledge after the, the new Netflix documentaries come out. If you haven't watched it, watch it. At the very least, just watch it out of respect for the survivors. But I knew a lot of the info, but putting uh, faces to the names, hearing them speak, watching them speak was incredible. And there's several new reveals in this that I think are, I mean, this I can't even believe they got away with it for so long. But we dive deep. We we yeah. I don't know. So listen, it's gonna be great. So without further ado, give it up for Deanna Aspear. All right, Deanna, you are my resident Epstein. I mean, are you tired of uh, being pulled into this drama of Epstein? Because I just have decided, like, what am I gonna have someone else on to talk about it? Like you, I've already made you do all the research. You're in it now. I'm in it. And you know what's so funny? I'm your official Epstein correspondent. And I never even knew about the entire thing until you told me to research about it for your podcast. <laughs> I feel like I bullied you into it. You've made me the expert. And I'm like, not an expert. I'm discovering, I'm probably less of an expert than everyone else listening now. No, but you're my British correspondent. You have like the inside scoop. You know, I mean, I wouldn't have seen that BBC interview with uh, uh, Prince Andrew. And you know, like, you had your 21st birthday at Tramp Nightclub. You know. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. I love that you remember Tramp. See, I watched the whole thing. And I don't remember any names of anything. You're, yeah. You've done a really good job of just remembering all the facts. Um, I had to re-watch it because it is hard to remember all of it. And I don't, like, when I re-watched it, I was like, I don't even remember that part at all. But yeah, yeah, it's, hard it's so much, so many, so much information. It's very condensed. Mm -hmm. um, but I was going to say, so we're obviously talking about the um, Epstein documentary on Netflix. Yes. And as I was watching, I thought I was going to find out so many new things that I didn't know before. Yeah. And then I was like, yep, Rachel said that. Yep, Rachel. Yep, Rachel said that. Yeah, we talked about this. And I and it just made me realize you did an epic research. Thank you. And I was kind of bummed about that because I, I thought I was gonna learn something new as well. I mean I did some some parts, but I was kind of like, well, I feel like if you just listen to a bunch of podcasts, it'd be the same thing. But I think the reason why it's good that they did it is I think it reached people that would have never normally known that stuff about the, you know, Epstein case because it came on Netflix. Yeah. yeah they've pop culture but also they've done a good job of just grouping all the information and just making it make sense all together because I remember when we were researching and talking about it we had just bits and pieces here and there and we didn't know if it was this guy from Miami and this guy from New York and it was all very confusing mm -hmm. and they've kind of made a timeline of everything which yeah. is helpful and actually there was I felt like there was a huge 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 moment when that man from um uh, St. Thomas, but he used to work on um, Epstein's Island doing like some kind of telecommunication stuff or electricity stuff in the cell tower or whatever. When he confirmed, so he says earlier in the documentary, maybe episode two or three, that one time when he was on the island, number one, that he saw Bill Clinton there. And Bill Clinton still claims that he never went there, even though he's on flight logs, whatever. Saw him there. Girls saw him there. Like, yeah. Yeah. But the other thing he said is that he saw Prince Andrew by the pool with a topless young girl 
like getting like starting like getting into foreplay or whatever he was grinding on or whatever. So they they did a good job of planting that like early on, and then on the last episode they showed him a photo photo of Virginia Roberts who. Prince Andrew claims to have never met. He doesn't remember taking that photo. He thinks it's photoshopped because he was at Pizza Express, you know, um, which is so stupid. Uh, That guy confirms Virginia Roberts was the young girl that he was all over at the pool. Like, that was a big one. Okay. So I spend a lot of time working and stressing. And don't get me wrong. I enjoy what I do and I love to work. But sometimes I need to force myself to shut down a little bit. And that's why best fiends is the best escape for me because I'm not good at like totally shutting down. I still need to engage my brain and best fiends is perfect for that. You get to relax while you engage your brain and enjoy breathtaking visuals and a gripping story. Best fiends really has been my kind of like go-to escape. Like if I just need to take 20 to 30 minutes away from my computer, I play best fiends. It's just It's fun and all these, you get to play with all these cute little characters and bugs and the puzzles are really fun. But Best Fiends is a casual game. Anyone can play it, but it's made for adults. And you can spend as much or as little time as you'd like on the game. It's just a really unique and exciting puzzle experience, unlike other puzzle games out there. Best Fiends updates the game monthly with new levels and events, so it never gets old. And Best Fiends treats the game like a service for their players. If you find yourself playing in random weird places, or you play at random times. For me, sometimes it's in the middle of the night when I can't sleep. It's because of Best Fiends. It helps me, but it kind of lulls me back to sleep. So the cool thing, though, is it doesn't require the internet to play. So you can be on a train or a plane or, uh, admittedly, and this is not safe, I have played it when I was on a walk once, but then I realized, pay attention to the road. Um, So play it safely, but enjoy yourself. It is a great way to escape with these cute characters, engage your brain, and... Take a little you time. So engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Yeah, and also I was very surprised to find out in that same clip that they had their own... um, I took some notes because I'm... Yeah, me too. It's actually what I was pulling up right here. But like, I, I don't know if my notes make sense, but um, they had their own um, set, their, their private cellular network. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because probably, well, because everything needed to be privacy for them, obviously. I didn't realize that you could even do that. And you, even as a really powerful person, I thought that, you know, everyone had to go through just a normal commercial cell, cellular network. Um, I, that didn't surprise me that much. It surprised me. I don't know. I mean, I guess I didn't really think that far into it, but. I did. That's really surprised me because whenever, you know, anything happens with the law, everyone is always able to trace calls for anything. And that's the reason why, you know, we have phones because they keep us safe as well. And they help with, you know, keeping the population safe. I'm just surprised. Yeah. Like if you went missing, they could ping your phone and know like this is the last place she was at or yeah. 100%. Any crime investigation, you know, you always hear, even on TV, you always hear, we we trace the call. We were able to trace the call. Like, that's how people get information, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, For their own security, but for the security of everyone else as well. So I was was surprised by that. Yeah. But I think, like, like, there was a certain part of the documentary where um, some expert on Wall Street 
Um, see, it's, see, it's even hard to remember now. Like some guy, I don't remember. Um, some expert on Wall Street was saying, Wall Street guys always leave a trail. There is some sort of way, a trail to, to track what they've done. He said this guy, he said he was like a, a cipher. He was like, he's like Epstein. I hope I'm using the right word. He said Epstein, he left no trail. There was like, it was like he didn't exist in certain things. And same thing with that guy, um, Steve Hoffenberg, whom they went on a Ponzi scheme together. That guy went, was sentenced to jail for 20 years. Epstein is like, yeah, he's like barely even on the file. And Steve Hoffenberg said, it was kind of interesting there too, because he was like, basically Epstein lied to him in the sense of like, Epstein said something about like, I think he... Or maybe, I don't even know if it was a lie. It was basically like he told him that he basically has like the um, U.S. attorney system in his back pocket, pretty much. And, um, but Hoffenberg then says, but even if that wasn't the case, he said he knew because of how manipulative Epstein was, if they had gone to court both together, the Epstein would have looked like the, you know, like the white knight. And he, and he, he knows that no matter what, Epstein would have gotten off anyways. Like, it didn't even matter necessarily that he was so well-connected. I took notes. I think his, the term he uses was he was very good at diluting his um, deviance. Yeah. Ooh, I didn't even remember him saying that. That's good. <laughs> You're, good. You're like, look at, look at me. Yeah, he, he also... Done the work. He also, I thought it was really interesting. So when I guess... so. Steve Hoffenberg was already running a Ponzi scheme and some guy called and was like, hey, you got to, and by the way, this is after Epstein got thrown out of Bear Stearns, one of the, at the time, biggest, you know, hedge funds or whatever on Wall Street. Additionally, it was surprising he did get thrown out though because- Because he faked his education um, document, like his proof of- Yeah. Patient. But wasn't that funny that the HR department guy was like, well, I, you know, I didn't want to like ruin the rest of this guy's career by getting him in trouble for that. Like Epstein manipulated his way out of that. So he didn't get in trouble for that. Yeah. I don't, I, in that case, I'm not sure if Epstein manipulated him. I think he said it was his mistake. The guy was like, you know, I just thought he'd be ruined. Like, I'm just mm-hmm. going to give him another chance. And then he was like, that was the biggest mistake I ever made. Well, and at the time Epstein was also dating the daughter of the head of Bear Stearns. It's crazy. But, um, but I guess after he was thrown out of Bear Stearns, some acquaintance called up Steve Hoffenberg and was like, you got to meet this guy. He's brilliant. Um, he's charismatic. His moral compass is upside down. And Steve Hoffenberg was like, that's perfect because we're running a Ponzi scheme. And then I guess when Epstein went in to be interviewed by Steve Hoffenberg for the job, Steve Hoffenberg was like, he began basically interviewing me, leading the interview. And that's what manipulative people do. You know, they turn every situation around, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, when, even when they asked about the, his penis, you know? It, that was awesome. You know, I mean, I, <laughs> he, he, he almost got up out of the room. It was so funny that every other thing that they said to him, like, did you, this was disgusting, did you get three 12-year-old girls for your birthday from a friend? Which, by the way, who is that friend? We'll go into that. But, like, everything that they say... He sits there calmly through it. When they mentioned his egg-shaped penis, he like ripped his mic off. <laughs> of course, you know, the, the thing that set him off had to be something sexual about him because as they said, he was a narcissist. Like he was just completely self-absorbed, had no empathy for anyone. And I, th- there's just so many things. I don't know where to begin with this. Like I don't even know where to begin episode one, episode I know. 
I don't either. I, I mean, I, I guess we can kind of start from the beginning. I was thinking, though, when you were saying that's what manipulative people do. So I, while we were while you were talking about, like, he's so manipulative, that's what manipulators do. I thought, like, I wonder what the actual, like, list of tactics are. Let's see. Kind of like how we did that one time. What did we do with narcissist or sociopath last time? Sociopath. Yeah, the test, the description. Yeah. Okay. So here's the goals of a manipulator. Tell me if you think that these align with Epstein. To avoid being confronted. Yes. Literally have avoided every single situation. To, down to, I mean, they, they said that they, they said that they, when they raided his house after he was arrested the second time, he, it looked like he had a plan in place for how he was going to leave if this ever happened. And similar to, to how we videotaped everyone else involved so he could frame them. Yeah. And mm-hmm. also... Didn't we hear in some resource that you sent to me, there were so many, you know, that someone said that he has, you know, all the hard drives with so much information, but they're all so hard to get into with so many different codes to crack and things. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, again, proves the point. He knows what he's doing. Honestly, I don't even know how he made, I don't, but I don't think he made money in a normal way. I don't think he ever really worked. No one knows, but I was going to say, I don't know, understand how he had the time to make money when his time was really just spent having sex several times a day with underage girls and manipulating and figuring out how not to get caught. No, I mean, I do think he was working. I think that a lot of his work personally, that's my personal opinion. A lot of his work was the leverage and maybe blackmailing people for, Oh yeah. You know, things like that. But you know, even that guy, I can't remember his name. I'm really terrible with names. Les Wexner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Les Wexner, who was like, he stole that money from me. Like he, pro- he probably conned so many people along the way, just like he conned his way into working on Wall Street without the proper education. Mm-hmm. That's what he did. We need to go heavily into Les in a second. Let's, because I just, good thing you brought that up. Let me finish this list. So, okay. So to avoid being confronted, to put you on the defensive, uh, yes. He even had those like teenage girls threatened by his. Oh, no. Friend. Oh, so when people, so I was going to bring that up, when people accused him of sexually assaulting the girls, he was like, well, um, giving uh, Epstein a massage is better than getting three abortions or something. Can you believe they, they drug teenage girls through the mud like that? Who it probably took them so much courage to come forward. Additionally, I thought it was really impressive that two of those girls admitted to bringing their friends in on it and didn't, because some of the people that did bring their friends in, they continued in Epstein's circle for so long and they're like all in hiding now. I mean, they kind of deserve to be probably prosecuted as well. But like, it was impressive that these girls were like, they admitted to something they're very ashamed of, of bringing their friends. So they, they, they not only did they have to admit to being sexually abused, then some of them admitted to bringing 40 girls in into it. And girls who were bringing people to him were all underage girls who were manipulated into doing so. And they said mm-hmm. it in the documentary that when you're a teenage person, you're not equipped with the tools to yeah. you know, deal with that situation. So I don't know if you know we can blame them for it. So much. Oh no! Oh no! I'm I'm definitely not blaming them for it at all. The ones though that went on to become adults and and do it though, that that to me is very troubling. 
you're you're already basically so fucked up when you're a child growing up doing those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You don't know what's right and wrong anymore. Well, and they knew to prey on people that needed the money that didn't. I mean, one of the girls was like, yeah, finally, when I was, uh, you know, bringing my friends in, like, I finally had money to eat, to feed myself, to pay my bills because her mom was an addict. And so no one was watching out for her. Like, I, I, I get it. I've never been in that situation. But who's to say I wouldn't? I don't know. Yeah, I, I was actually having this conversation with um someone I know, I'm not going to say a friend or anything because it was more of an acquaintance, but I was having this conversation about, you know, the morning show and the Me Too movement. And the person that I was speaking to is someone who's very, very, you know, privileged and sheltered and, you know, not super faced with the things that, you know, we, for example, see in LA in the entertainment industry, mm -hmm. for example, amongst other industries and other situations. And that person was telling me, you know, I don't understand what happens with this whole, you know, Weinstein. I mean, I'm not comparing the two. They're very different situations, but. Except they were also, they also knew each other. He, Weinstein would go to his house. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, that person was saying to me, I don't understand how girls can be so thirsty for just like success and fame. And like, it's, you can just say no. And it really just. That's it yeah. bugged me. And to be perfectly honest with you, I don't know if I should be admitting this on the podcast. This was someone that I was talking to, to like get to know that person. And once I had had this conversation, I was like, I want nothing to do with this person. I'm so excited and honored to tell you about a brand called Dare to Be Yourself. Welcome to the journey to be your authentic self. It says on the front page of their website, which I loved. And their mission statement really resonated with me. We live in a world quote, we live in a world where everyone is scared to be their authentic self. But if you dare to be, what more do you have to worry about? And I was sent this company by Katie Naley. Katie, I'm sorry if I'm saying Naley wrong. I don't think I've messed up Katie though. Um, she said, I have an amazing Detroit, Michigan based black owned small business that deserves all the recognition in the world. They have done so much for our state, especially during the COVID-19 pandemic. Dare to be yourself is working around the clock to help our community right now in these very hard times. And we have to give them all the thanks for everything they do. Dare to be yourself is giving back to our essential workers and I wanna give back to them, she said. And right now during COVID-19, with a purchase of a Dare to be yourself t-shirt, this amazing company is giving not only the shirt you see below on the website uh, for hashtag the front line, but they've also teamed up with Papa's Pizza and they're delivering meals and masks to them as well. Dare to be yourself as a motivational, inspirational brand that champions individualism and encourages everyone to live as their most authentic self. As a part of this mission, each month, the company rolls out a new theme, focusing on a more nuanced concept to celebrate. I think everything they're doing is beautiful. Their products are amazing. And I encourage you to purchase and give back. Um, you can find their products at www.daretby.com. That's D-A-R-E-T-B-Y.com. Dare to be yourself. I hate when people say such ignorant statements like that. Like, you, just because that girl is never known what it felt like to want or need anything or be really desperate to get your career off the ground because you don't have anything else 
You'd have nothing to lose. And even one of the girls said, she was like, I had been raped before. And when I got there, I had so little self-value that I just let it happen because Mm -hmm. she didn't know any better. And you can't blame someone for, you know, growing up this way and not Mm -hmm. being equipped with the tools you need to to stand up for yourself. So I, you know, and seeing them saying it on TV definitely Mm -hmm. made me even more empathetic than I was before. Mm -hmm. Um, really great being able to see all those people speaking in interviews because when we did the research we couldn't really mm-hmm. see them as much we had bits and pieces but seeing them all grouped together was like a lot yeah they're all I mean it's, they seem to all be thriving now but it's really sad what their life the the turn their lives took you know for a long time I mean that Maria Farmer basically had to flee for 20 years then she got brain cancer I mean obviously the stress like it's so sad. But I was going to say to that point that this acquaintance said that, like, additionally, even if you weren't raised to, like, you know, in poverty or whatever would make you, you need the money more, you're a kid, number one. Number two, even if you're an adult, when you get into those situations, like, sometimes your body just doesn't know what to do. Like, what, like, in your brain is just like, you're... It's like when you're having a panic attack and someone is saying, calm down. Mm-hmm. You can't calm down because your body does not have the tools to, you know, balance out all these emotions. And it's mm-hmm. coming out in a, like, you're, they say it even in the interviews. It was like an out-of-body experience. I felt like a surgeon was doing things to me and I couldn't do anything. Like, I, was, I couldn't do anything about mm-hmm. it. And I feel like you can't just think that someone can stop when you haven't been in that situation, just as you can't tell everyone to calm down when they're having a panic attack because mm-hmm. that's not going to make them calm down. I also think it's such a specific type of the way they were violated. And, and I, I apologize in advance if this is going to come off as offensive. I'm just trying to work through the, the thought. I, I, don't, I don't know if it's the right thing to say, but... Let's say, like, if you were just um, attacked in an alley, you know, and and someone was trying to rape you or whatever. I almost think your instincts there would be to fight like hell. More so than in this scenario, because I think in this scenario, they were genuine. It was like, I can imagine what it would be like. They were genuinely confused. Like, wait, this isn't what I was told was going to happen. Or... Like in Maria Farmer's case or um, Shantae Davies, they were already working for him. Shantae Davies was already his um, masseuse. And then all of a sudden when he just decided to pin her down and rape her one day, I think you would just be like, what's happening? Like, like, and your brain would be like, oh, but this is someone I know. Like, is this normal? Especially if you're a kid. Well, yeah, there's definitely manipulation there. And he tried to rationalize it, you know, by... Mm -hmm seem like it was a normal thing and also some of the times as you know again the girls said they said you know I was on his private island I didn't know who was there I didn't know what they could do to me so I couldn't say no because they were alone against him and his people and his staff or God knows who was there um just completely alone so they were probably afraid for their lives as well yeah well and all the people judging you know, mm-hmm. survivors of sexual abuse probably watch this. I don't know. Yeah, please do. Like, just or just be a human. Like, just because you've never experienced that, 
it doesn't mean, like, don't pass judgment on something that you've never experienced. And even, even if you have and you had a different outcome, doesn't mean that this didn't happen, you know, the way it happened for these people. The other thing that, like, the number three thing on the goals of the manipulator, by the way, is to make you doubt yourself and your perceptions. And I think that's exactly what he would, he would do. Like, yeah, because he would also have leverage and be like, I'll pay for your education. And mm-hmm. he would make them feel like he was there to, you know, enhance their future and make them evolve in life. So, you know, this kind of seems, oh, well, maybe it's like a rite of passage for me mm-hmm. to be able to be a part of the of these people that go to the good schools and are successful in life. Like he probably made them feel that way as well, you know? Mm-hmm. And like they owed him something. I'm sure he would say stuff like that. Yeah. That's what I meant to say. I don't even know if I'm using the right terminology. But also, um, if I may, mm-hmm. something I've learned a lot, especially with what's happened in America right now that I'm not here to witness personally, but my friends are messaging me. Mm-hmm. You know, you can judge. For, I don't mean judge in a negative way, but you can have an opinion. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, if we're ignorant about something, we might offend someone and we probably are going to offend someone. But I think it's important to be open to understanding and putting yourself in someone else's shoes. And so, because if you don't voice these opinions, no one's ever going to correct you. And no one's ever going to share their thoughts and feelings with you. So the communication should be open, but I don't think we should look down on these girls because all the evidence and this pattern that we've seen goes to show that he was just excellent at manipulating people. Mm-hmm. And they, would, they just had no tools to mm-hmm. deal, to defend themselves. I can't believe that in the documentary they were saying that they, were, they would refer to the girls as underage prostitutes. No, they were sexually abused. Children. They were children, children. They were not underage prostitutes. You don't get to say underage prostitute. Being a prostitute is a job. They were underage. They weren't allowed to even work. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So you yeah. can't even give them a, a name like that. The thing that horrified me, I don't know why it stood out so much, is they were so young, they still had braces, some of them. They had braces. They were kids. Like, What did you think of the art thing, of how he had all this, like, very sexual art in his house. Did you feel like, oh, so fucked up? Or did you think? I think it, I think it's what we talked about last time. It was a way to normalize it. Remember, it would be those photos, then it would be a picture of him next to the Pope. And so these people are thinking like, oh, wait, he's, he knows a lot of powerful people. He's a powerful man. The sex photos are weird, but they like normalized it in a weird way. Yeah, and you know what? Like some of the stuff, some of the art was really fucked up, but actually some of the art was tasteful not all of it but like I looked at it and I was like yeah okay it's like a nude and whatever but it's like a nice work of art so looking at it yeah it's very out there with nudity but my first thought looking at it wouldn't have been whoa this is so disturbed and disgusting it would have been wow like that's a a good painting Mm -hmm. yeah so now that I was able to see it it actually made sense you know what we said actually made sense yeah yeah And I think it's like, it was also before, like, so when these girls are going into his house, seeing these paintings, they're kids, so they haven't yet been able to form their own opinions on sexuality and their preferences and things like that yet. So they may have just been like, 
oh, I guess it's really normal to be overly sexual. Like, oh, like, and, th- and that's fine. I mean, hey, people live your life. If you're, that's how you live your life, don't do it to children, but like, cool, go for it. But I think like at that age, like I didn't know what I thought about that kind of thing. And I, I was probably like pretty prude, but I think if maybe I would have seen that, I'd have been like, oh, like maybe I'm kind of a dork and this is what cool people do. Like, I have a question for you and it might be, sorry, I'm going on so many tangents, but like, what do you expect? Um, When you were like very young, like, I don't know, seven, 10, 13, and you were watching a movie with your parents and the scene got really sexual, Mm -hmm. did you get really uncomfortable in front of your parents? I would still get uncomfortable now if that happened. Me too. I didn't want to say, but like, do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Again, with the whole like normalizing thing, like seeing all those things and being in presence of this adult who is, you know, supposedly in the high society and can get you in all the best schools. Like, I don't know. It goes back to what we were saying. It, it, you, you see these things and it almost kind of takes, a, it normalizes it. Maybe it normalizes it. Yeah. yeah. Dating is difficult for all of us. Right. But it also has many upsides. It's a wonderful thing, but it's hard. But I've always thought, And I've always wanted to know, what is it like to date in New York City? It's got to be nuts, right? Well, now I do know. Because I've been listening to Cats and Dogs podcast. Join Tatiana and Lawrence as they discuss sex, dating, relationships, living in New York, and more, from all from the perspective of a black woman and man. And shit gets weird. There's some dating app stories, meeting and bar stories, whatever. Sex stories, whatever your flavor, they got it all. And it is in one of the most fascinating cities in the world. So listen on Spotify to Cats and Dogs with Tatiana and Lawrence. How hilarious was it the way Brad Edwards interrogated Epstein where he would just outwardly say to him like, oh, so you have an egg-shaped penis. Or so would you say you're bisexual, Epstein? Because it was rumored that the way he was able to manipulate Les Wexner was because they had a sexual relationship. And even Steve Hoffenberg kind of, yeah, and Steve Hoffenberg kind of, was. I felt like he said it without saying it because I guess Epstein told him that um, he knew how to um, manipulate um, Les's emotions. When you say emotions, that leads me to believe that there's some sort of... Uh, Romantic relationship. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I didn't know this fact that you just told me. And my first initial thought when I was watching this was 100% he used. 100%. Something, you know, his emotions, his sexuality, something. Um, because I'm, I'm, a man that's able, like Les Wexner, who's able to have, you know, a billion dollar company or multi-billion dollar company, who's smart enough to create that kind of thing, wouldn't necessarily... I, I mean, I guess people can lose track of their money source when they have so much, but they're not the type of person that would just give someone the most expensive apartment in Manhattan. Or, uh, I mean, within weeks of knowing each other, I think he had um, Epstein signed over as his power of attorney or something in his, at his company. Like, I don't think you do that kind of thing unless there's some sort of romantic, powerful businessman who's succeeded, you know, to, to, to find, you can't find that kind of success by mistake. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Agreed. Agreed. Yes. I totally agree. That's such a high level of, of success that it's like, 
it's not a coincidence that you become that successful. You know, I get these mm-hmm. little entrepreneurs and like, wow, my business is thriving and I didn't expect it. I get it. But that mm-hmm. level, you have yeah. to know what you're doing. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's crazy. It's crazy the way Epstein's brain worked. Because I actually don't necessarily think he was bisexual. Although he could have just been one of those people that was like, anything goes. Because he's just so hyper-sexualized. And they, I mean, I mean, Virginia Roberts called the island Orgy Island. So I'm imagining there was uh, lots of things going on. Also, when you have no empathy for people whose lives you're ruining by molesting them, you know, mm-hmm. I'm sure it's not, a, it's not a real issue for you to just be like, well, maybe I can you know, I can do this with this guy. Totally. Like you kind he's kind of desensitized in a yeah, way. There are means to an end. His goal is to be uber wealthy so he can get away with all this stuff and live this life. So Les Wexner is just a means to an end. So if he has to manipulate this guy into falling in love with him and hook up with him from time to time, fair. Like, I'm surprised they didn't talk more. Not fair. About- I don't mean it fair as in like, that's a good, I'm, I'm just saying like, I think that's the way his brain works. Like, oh, this is what I have to do. There for him, which yeah. Not a reference, but um, I'm surprised they didn't talk more about Ghislaine. I know. I hate that she gets away with so much. She just, she bothers me so badly. And I just, I just picture her as a mean girl. I picture her as a girl. I've said this before. I actually said it with the Australian girls on their podcast. And I said it when we were recording once too. I, I think, I think she was in love with Epstein. I think that she was also a sexual deviant herself. I all, but I also think she's so mad She's not the hot girl. She's so mad that she's surrounded by all of these, like, you know, Melania Trump and, like, supermodels or whatever that, you know, run around in the elite like this. She's, so if she's not going to, if she's not going to be the hot girl, then she's going to be the most evil woman in the room or the most manipulative or the smartest. Like, she's got to be number one at something. You know, it's it's almost like, you know, when in school, I'm comparing things to in school, you really liked a guy, but he didn't like you back. So you're like, whatever, I'll be this guy's best friend. Mm-hmm. She's the best friend. Oh my God, that is such a good comparison. She's your comparison. No, but it's, I think she, they, both of them were both very emotionally immature people. I think that it's a good comparison. Like, yeah, like by any means necessary, she's going to be around him and she's going to be his right hand woman. And, and everyone has to go through her to get to him because that's Deanna. Deanna, that's brilliant. Guy in high school didn't like me. And I was like trying so hard to be his friend and impress him. And it was like, yeah, obviously I had been friend zoned. Mm-hmm. That's Ghislaine. But also, you know, based off of what you said about her, that you were like, she's disgusting. She's average looking. And then hearing all these people in the interviews, she was so friendly and she was, you know, outgoing and she was beautiful and she was an extrovert. And then I was like, well, when Rachel and I spoke about her, we didn't say <laughs> I think it was, she was just fancy, especially to like kids who didn't grow up with money and like th- they're, and she's got a British accent. They're like this fancy woman. I would think she was fancy too. Yeah. But now that you know me, you understand that the accent doesn't mean you're fancy. I mean, I, I actually thought you were really fancy when you started speaking French earlier too. I was like, how come you get to be this cool international fancy bond girl (laughs) stuck in the village that is switzerland let me tell you oh gosh Uh, but yeah i was very surprised that we didn't they didn't talk more about her and you know when they showed this like web of people that you know the girls bringing more girls and that it could have been five times more that scared me see getting the visuals to all the things that we discussed was so 
it was it was really hard to watch. Like it, mm-hmm. it didn't affect me as much when I did the research and spoke about it with you. But so they showed this web of women, but they didn't once say Ghislaine was, you know, recruiting all these people. They kind of mentioned it here and there. But I wonder if they're afraid of her, maybe lawsuits. But then again, they I mean they kind of went after Prince Andrew, so I don't know. Yeah, well, they didn't give a fuck. Why didn't they go after her more? Uh, well, we were originally, call- or they were on the um, Prince and the Pervert podcast, they were calling her the pimp, but then people were like, that does imply that these girls were willing, like, uh, sex workers, so that's not, I don't know, what did we end up calling her? I forget. No, I, we, we had a name for her, but it was not pimp, but it yeah. was some, and um, they, they, didn't, they didn't say that enough. They didn't because remember she would like pick girls off the street. She would go into like the bad neighborhoods in, in Manhattan and also in uh, West Palm Beach or whatever and and just pick out a girl, like swing open her town car door and just be like, oh, you're so beautiful. What are your goals? What do you want to do? Like, we can help you with anything. They didn't say, they just said that she was kind of there and she was facilitating, you know, the molesting, but they didn't say that she was an essential part of the whole scheme yeah. of you know, manipulating these girls into going. That surprised me. Or maybe, I don't know if we did the research wrong or maybe they... No, she she was. I mean, well, they did say, they said um, in Maria Farmer's account, and she, remember when she was like, Eps, wait, Epstein was in the middle. No, she was in the middle. Epstein was on one side of her. Uh, Ghislaine was on the other. And they were like sort of like touching each other than touching Maria or whatever. So they did at least out her for that part. Yeah, like she was facilitating it. Yeah. But he was, you know, kind of the brains mm-hmm. when it comes to the recruitment and he was mm-hmm. just executing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. They really, they really kind of let her off the hook, which is, which is frustrating because that a lot of people are seeing that or hearing the story for the first time on Netflix and they don't know the full story of Ghislaine. Neither did we, but at least, you know, we got kind of a bit of a background that we could build on. Mm-hmm. If you're like a, a green person, you haven't really heard about the topic I'm not saying it's biased, but I wish they had spoken about her more mm-hmm. um, because, you know, the two Australian girls that, you know, we listen to their podcast, they speak about her a lot. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot about her that wasn't mentioned. I feel very serious talking about this. I know we're, we're so, we're so serious. Okay. The other thing uh, about now we're, we're really jumping around, but who cares? Um, uh, I wanted to mention about Prince Andrew that was very damning is, uh, when they used to play this guessing game when they brought Virginia to him, for example. And Ghislaine was like, how old do you think she is, Prince Andrew? And then he goes, he guesses 17. And then Ghislaine is like, yep, that's right. Like, I don't even know what age Virginia was at the time. She might have been 17 or maybe Ghislaine was just agreeing. But then but then he follows it up with, oh, like, like basically like you're just around my daughter's age. You're just around my daughter's age and then you go and sleep with this girl? Just a little bit younger than you or something. Yeah. Prince Andrew's just straight up stupid, I think, too. Like, I mean, hello. We've, we've discussed yeah. this entire thing. No, like, the the worst interview in the history of the, the worst thing I've ever seen. The most, the biggest fail in the history of interviews. Like, did he not have a good PR team? Like, what... Who let him talk? But I feel that way about like President Trump all the time where I'm like, who's letting you speak right now? Just can no one stop you from saying the dumb things that are coming out of your mouth? Agreed. But also there's quite a bit of a difference. President Trump 
whether we like it or not, or whatever the fuck happened, earned his place as a president of the United States. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying it's right to just speak out of your ass, but... But he was voted, yeah, elected. Elected president of the United States. Andrew is literally being accused of one of the most terrible things you can do in the world. And he's still being a fucking idiot. So he's, he's just... He's just straight up stupid. Like, the 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 lie he made up about the sweating. First of all, Prince Andrew, do you think that that's the only time you're during... You're a major public figure around the entire world. If you're saying during that time you couldn't sweat, do you really think there's not going to be a photo taken of you, maybe at a polo match or some outdoor event where you're sweating through your freaking shirt and then your stupid lie is exposed? Like, But also, if you have a brain, you should be intelligent enough to know that it's such a crazy coincidence. Like, I've never heard of anyone being unable to sweat. And the minute- It sounds like a lie that a five-year-old would come up with if they, if they got in trouble. Like- Literally, I do love how we're comparing all these people to our like five, 10-year-old self. I kind of like it. It's, it's a pretty big dig. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. Um, I feel digging but I don't um I don't I don't uh I don't for these people I feel bad laughing like I'm not laughing because it's funny I'm laughing because we're coming to these conclusions that mm-hmm. like you know yeah they're evil that but maybe they're just dumb no you 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 have to be pretty evil to sleep with a, a children 13 year olds well I mean if you don't think Epstein's evil emotionally dumb like he had no yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, there's like the whole evil scheme to get them there. But also there's just this incapacity to feel sorry for them. That's being emotionally stupid. I think in Prince Andrew's case, different than Epstein, because Epstein did not grow up rich or famous. But in Prince Andrew's case, it could be just that like, you grew up as a prince. So you think you're allowed to do whatever you want and you're never going to get caught for it. Which is, it's sad he might never get caught. And that is so, that's got to be so frustrating for those girls. They already had to deal with Epstein killing himself. And then I thought this was so good that they they said this at the end, that it was like one last evil move on Epstein's part to make sure these poor girls never got money. He He's dead. He knew he was either going to kill himself or there was either some plot to murder him or something. I don't know. So when he... Right before he dies, he transfers $577 million to the Virgin Islands, an offshore account that he knows their legal system takes like, I, I remember listening to it on a podcast, like even just a basic divorce can take 20 years just because they're like very like lackadaisical and slow with things. Epstein knows by doing that, these girls probably will never see any money. Like it's so evil. I think that, well, I'll ask you yours and then I'll tell you mine. What was the thing that made you the most sick in this entire, like, what were you the most, like, pissed off and disgusted by in this? Honestly, everything. Mm-hmm. But um, there was a couple things. N- number one was, you know, him saying, giving Epstein a massage is better than having three abortions. God. You're trying to like make an excuse. Discredit them. Yeah. Discredit them. 
But also, you know, when he was pleaded guilty in 2008 and he was like, I don't get out of my house. Girls were coming to get money. That shocked me. Mm -hmm. And obviously all the Prince Andrew stuff. Oh my God. um, That shocked me as well. Yeah, those things. The photo with Prince Andrew and him just completely denying it. And Mm -hmm. those two things about Epstein. What was yours? Um, When they... And Virginia Roberts confirmed it on Epstein's, I think it was his 50th birthday. And I want to know who this freaking friend is. That one of his friends for his 50th birthday purchased three 12-year-old girls, purchased them from their parents in France, flew them to Epstein. And Epstein was joking about it. Flew them to Epstein as a gift for his 50th birthday. 50th birthday. 12-year-old girls. Flew them there. As a gift to him, Epstein laughs about it. Virginia said they were only there for one day, then flown back. Three 12-year-old girls. You know what's funny about this? Not funny, but like, do you know what's funny about this? Is that, you know, all the very influential people that he knew, mm-hmm. you know, once he was condemned and accused, everyone, they said it in the documentary, everyone was like, I didn't, I didn't really know him that well. And like, you know, I, we were kind of not really just acquaintances. Mm-hmm. But it's so funny because... His friends seem to know him enough to send him girls for his birthday. And you, you know, I think it would take someone powerful able to actually hide that stuff to be able to give someone such a quotations gift. So mm-hmm. that's what's funny about this. I want to know which, which friend sent him that. Like that is absolutely horrifying. Like 12 years, like how old is your niece? Like five maybe? Uh, she's, uh, six. Six. Oh, so six years from now, can you imagine? Six? My niece, who's still only 14, that would be two years ago. Twelve? I mean, I mean, 14's horrifying, but like... Her today, funny enough that you used her as an example. Mm-hmm. Um, she was watching a TV show and she was like, oh, that character is the girl's best friend, the gu- a guy. And I was like, oh, do you have a guy friend? And she was like, no, I don't like guys. I only have girlfriends. Oh, it's that age where you like, they're so in They're so innocent. Like, yeah, they're a, tw- a 12 year old doesn't even have like boyfriends really yet. I mean, sometimes I guess like, but still like, I can't even imagine how terrifying it would be to be a 12 year old girl, go on an international flight for one day, hook up with a 50 year old man and then be sent back. It's so unbelievably sad. At 12 years old, I don't know, I can't speak for anyone else, but I did not have any, like, sexual thoughts. No, I definitely didn't, yeah. Like, well, I'm sure they, I'm sure these poor girls didn't either. They were purchased, like, it's, it's not like they wanted to do that. No, I know, but it's, it's different. There's just that extra level of fucked up when it's people who have no idea what it's about and what, what they're mm-hmm. doing. And then it ruins their, the, their future sex lives because it's like, yeah, oh God, it's so like, I'm not saying any kind of rape and sexual assault is, is good. I'm definitely, it's all terrible, but you know, if you have had a sexual history, like a normal sex life, and then you're sexually assaulted, at least you know what it's like to have had it the right way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Girls will never know probably. Yeah. Yeah. Know what I mean? Yeah, no, totally. I'm just looking at my notes now. The other, the other thing um, that was pretty unreal was how blatantly 
in 2008, they went to court to start the trial. And before the trial even started, Epstein goes up to the judge's stand. The judge, like, whispers something to him that no one else could hear. And then they're like, okay, case closed. Like, can you imagine how pissed off you would be if you worked to get these girls justice? Can you imagine if you how long it took you to get as a, one of the girls brave enough to bring it up? And literally, you show up thinking it's your day in court. And they're like, no, we're just not doing it. He's just, yeah, he just, he pled to soliciting prostitution. Not even to a minor, which it really confuses me how they ended up putting him on the sex offenders list if they claimed it wasn't a minor. But it's an sorry, I'm eating at the same time because it's dinner time. Um, It's an insult on so many different levels. First of all, beyond disrespectful towards the girls. And, you know, we've we've said it countless times. Mm -hmm. But also, you know, how many years of study does it take to be a lawyer? Probably five, six years. And in Switzerland, it's eight. It's like seven years. It's like being a doctor. Mm-hmm. All these people working so hard to, you know, bring justice and do their jobs and, you know, help people essentially mm-hmm. all just down the drain, like complete, like mm-hmm. anything that, could, that everyone has worked hard towards to help people, to help their clients, to help these girls like d- disregarded as well. It's such, it's such a slap in the face. And they, they told the girls that like it, that out of like the 30 to 40 that came forward and were willing to testify, they were like, if he, if he gets convicted of even one of these, he could spend life in prison, even one of them life in prison. And it was just like, nope, we're just going to disregard that 35 to 40 girls are willing to testify and just, and let him basically, his prison sentence was like staying at a bad motel. They said, because he was he just had to sleep there. He got 12 hours a day of work release, 12 hours a day. And, and when he, and then when he was, he left prison, was on probation. He wasn't supposed to go anywhere. They were constantly, they constantly seeing him fly different places. And it's unbelievable. Yeah. He was always violating his, his, um, what's it called? Uh, probation. Also, not I trying to, you know, make a joke out of this, but his prison sentence was easier than freaking quarantine for us. Oh my God, that's so funny. Yes, it was. His prison. He didn't have to do anything. He didn't have to do anything. It was literally just a shitty bed. Yeah, well, they also said he had his own wing in the prison and he had a TV room and like, it's. It was just a cheap mattress. Yeah, I'm sure I've had apartments that were worse than where he was. Like, it just. It's unbelievable. Well, I don't think I have anything else to cover other than like, yeah, I think it was good. Alex Acosta at the end. Just- I'm sure he was paid. He was paid off for sure. That to be, I mean, well, I actually thought that that was fascinating that this would have never gotten brought up had Alex Acosta not be, um, uh, the, what is it? Labor? What was he? I don't remember what he was, his position was, but, um, I feel stupid, but had they not looked into his past and seen this, this would have never came out the second time around, which is fascinating. But yeah, to me that it was crazy, you know, when he spoke up and was like, I think it's great that, you know, he's been caught. You had, you could, he was caught in 2008. It's your fault, dude. Yeah. Like, so you're saying you're, it's great that someone else caught him, but not you. Yeah, 
And how much money were you paid? I wish they would look into like do like a like a full on like um like forensic look into his accounting because I would love to know if he was paid off. There are a couple of things that I want to bring up. Okay. If I- yes, you can. So, so you know, you said what shocked you the most, and obviously, the victims, the survivors, the way that he did it, all of that is very disturbing. But there's a couple things that stood out to me. Mm-hmm. When people are interviewing him and asking him, "Did you sexually assault this person? Did you? Is your penis like?" Ask him all these things that are crazy things to do. Mm-hmm. If you had been misjudged and accused of something you hadn't done and you were being asked these questions, you would be outraged. You would be like, of course not. Mm -hmm. I was like, no, no, no. As if he had like been trained. Because he he doesn't have any emotions. And I'm sure he was trained by his lawyers. He said Fifth Amendment about a hundred times. I don't know the legal system enough, uh, but at all, how, how many times can you just say, I evoke my fifth amendment, right? Like, can you just never answer the question? Is that legal? Yeah. Like, are you just not going to answer any questions? Another thing that I felt was really sad is, you know, he's obviously destroyed these girls lives forever, Mm -hmm. affected them forever. And, you know, she he didn't remember her and she was like of course you don't remember me there were a hundred others mm-hmm. and like they're gonna remember his face forever that's gonna haunt them for the rest of their lives he doesn't even remember them i thought that was like i was thinking that the whole time like he probably couldn't pick any of these girls out of a lineup like he probably doesn't oh god first of all he does remember virginia roberts you know he does but when they asked him in the beginning of the fourth episode um do you like do you know virginia roberts he goes who and they go do you know virginia roberts he goes, can you spell it? Like, like, so, like, again, like a child trying to deny a lie by pretend, first pretending he doesn't hear them really, or like who, then being like, can you spell Virginia? And the, the um, interviewer is like, it's the common spelling of Virginia. Like, what? Also, why would spelling it be helpful? How many times did you write her name down? Like, and my niece knows how to spell Virginia and she doesn't even speak English. Yeah, like what like that so like moments like that where people are like he's so manipulative he's so good I'm like uh, I mean he's no Prince Andrew in terms of dumbness but like that was one of the most blatantly dumb lies I've ever heard can can you spell Virginia yeah maybe I'll know once I see the spelling or hear the spelling like acting deflection yeah he's just trying to like distract people from what they were asking him. Yeah, which is such a manipulative tactic. Like, where, like, if you're in an argument with someone, for example, and they, someone's just talking over you or just kind of trying to confuse you by throwing a bunch of words at you, it's like, what? Okay. Like, he just, he's just the worst. And I, it's just, I just think he's, I think that that guy, more than just sex crimes, could have gotten away with anything just based on the, his, his incredibly sociopathic, manipulative brain. Like, if he, if he wasn't going to be involved in abusing uh, young girls, he was going to be involved in some other criminal activity. 100%. And what baffles me is how he never seemed to be afraid. Like, you know, if I was committing oh a God, criminal yeah. offense, I would be so afraid to get caught. I would be so... Like, 
walking on eggshells, like, you know, tiptoeing around everything in life. And he was just comfortable, not afraid, just doing the things he was doing. Because I don't think he feels the same human emotions we do. Like, we feel nervous. We, we, we would feel anxious. We would feel bad. But it's also an abuse of power because he was like, no matter what I do, I can get out of it. So there, there will be consequences. Like, the reason why we are afraid of doing something that's bad is because we are taught from a young age, you know, that's not good. You will suffer the consequences. So now we have guilt. Now we have that guilt and that knowledge because we were taught that it was bad, mm-hmm. you know, but for someone who's abusing his power and who has unlimited means, mm-hmm. probably just, I mean, a lot of people are very wealthy and don't use it to rape people, but mm-hmm. I'm just saying there's his lack of empathy, but there's also just a complete abuse of power because he knew he could get away with it. Yeah. And I think he is a true sociopath because I don't think he felt the normal human emotions that you would feel when committing a crime. You would feel nervous. You would feel bad. You would feel, you know what I mean? Like, I just think he just didn't. It's just like, it was like going to get a burger for him. Like, <laughs> you know, when you hear all these girls talking, it's always the same thing. It was like, he asked me if I wanted to massage him. He took me into that room. And it was like almost like a routine, like a normal thing. Mm-hmm. For him. And that yeah. was, you know, I didn't realize that again until I watched the TV show. There's, so with your research, I knew all of these facts, but seeing it and in the, in the way that it was said, I realized so many little things. Mm-hmm. You know? um, I realized that, you know, with all these girls, the way that they were describing the situation, it was just like a normal little routine for him. Yeah. It's, it's like how we try to work out most days or we record our podcast. It was just like, this is what he does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so many weird things. I don't, I don't know what, what, what else to say. No, no, I think that's good. I don't really have anything else to say either. Um, do wait, any other points on the show or? No, that's all I had in my yeah. note. It's no, it was very good. Um, any other, any other British in point besides the fact that Prince Andrew is an embarrassment to your homeland? I mean, he was literally irrelevant anyways, but now I'm so glad that he's no longer a prince. <laughs> but everyone knew him as like stupid. <laughs> oh my God. We have to end on you calling him <laughs> literally irrelevant. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. That's hilarious. Well, he's irrelevant. Oh my God. Well, tell everyone where they can find you on the socials, your podcast. Wait, is he not irrelevant? No, he's so irrelevant. I think it's funny that you like, we're like, that he's, he's that much of a fool that you're like, oh, he's so irrelevant. Like, like that's hilarious. Yeah, but he's irrelevant in the sense that like, I care about the queen. I care about, you know, the new uh, prince. Harry, like I, you know, even Meghan Markle, I care about more than he was all, he was always sort of like the black sheep. Like he didn't get the like beautiful, glamorous wife, uh, Diana. He had Fergie, who's annoying as hell. Like he just has always been like a buffoon. Yeah. Like he's like the almost guy. <laughs> the almost guy. <laughs> you know, in Grey's Anatomy, they use that, that example. I'm the almost guy. Like I'm, you know, I'm not as, I'm always the second best. I'm always the almost guy. That's Prince Andrew. hundred percent. Oh my God. That's so funny. Um, <laughs> so that's what I had to say. You know, I'm glad that they brought his interview to people's attention because 
I, I, I saw that a lot of people in the US were not aware. Yeah, of this. I didn't know. So, you know, I hope people go and watch the whole thing because it's very interesting. I mean, honestly, you could make it a family night. It's very, very intriguing to watch. It's it's ridiculous. It's like watching an SNL sketch of someone trying to lie like a, it, or a five-year-old. They could have just put a five-year-old in his place. It leaves room for so many conspiracy theories. That's yeah. what I'm going to say about it. It's crazy. Um, yeah, that's all I had to say. I'm glad that this is on Netflix. Go watch it. You need to, you know, I watch The Selling Sunsets. The you know, too hot to handle. But it's also important to not be obsessed with the glitz and glam of Hollywood and understand that those things can happen. And I think everyone should be made aware of it. Yeah, I think everyone should watch it. I think it's definitely just, if anything give the survivors the respect of knowing their story. Well, it's so, okay. Tell everyone where they can find you and your podcast. You can find me on Instagram at Deanna Espia, D-I-E, Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> she forgot to spell it. Wow, you're like Epstein. How do you spell Virginia? <laughs> D-I-A-N-A-E-S-P-I-R. Who the fuck cannot spell their own name? Let me tell you. Um, and on the You Can't Sit With Me podcast, which unlike this episode, I usually talk about very superficial, very meaningless, very dumb reality TV. So I'm happy that I get given this platform with Rachel to talk about. Yes, but you're very smart and funny. Don't call what you talk about dumb. I mean, yes, those, a lot of those subjects are dumb, but they're, they're, they are a good escape. A good escape. Oh I, my I, God. I was watching the Epstein thing the other night and I was like kind of just getting depressed about it. So I was like, let me just try to watch something as an escape. And I was able to get through maybe eight minutes of The Real Housewives of New York before I felt like I was going to have a panic attack. They were so drunk. They're way too old to be getting that drunk. Like, and they're just kind of like cackling over each other, which I know I have a problem with talking over people during, well, mostly the Zoom podcast. It's very difficult to know when someone's done with the, but like these women, they're, Zoom is difficult because um, there's a bit of a delay and when someone's talking to the other ones, it's, it's, it's hard. But yeah, they're always kind of... But also, um, I, I'm a reality TV obsessed person mm-hmm. and when the climate is kind of like depressing and sad like it is now, I find it really hard to watch, you know... Rich, rich, rich people get super drunk and fight about dumb stuff. It's painful. I find it really difficult and I'm normally a stan you know yeah yeah well i love you so much thank you for doing this bye